Well, there's a foundation that has given 20,000 scholarships to low-income students. The same foundation has given $13 billion to eradicate tuberculosis and malaria throughout the world. It has also given billions of dollars in research to funding venture capital and universities to come up with ideas for clean water and for better sanitation throughout the world. And I'm just listing three items of a plethora of things that this foundation has done. One individual whose foundation the name comes from has personally given $35 billion to these causes. You might have guessed the name. Bill Gates, the founder of Microsoft, and the foundation, the Gates Foundation, that has given over $50 billion towards its cause of fighting poverty, disease, and inequity around the world. For some of us, we celebrate Bill Gates and the richest people in the world like Warren Buffett that have given to the Gates Foundation a good cause. We celebrate the decrees that this organization has done and the remarkable work that has happened through the Gates Foundation. For some of us, we're skeptical about leaders like this and rulers like this. And the name Bill Gates does not bring about warm fuzzies in our heart. Well, I have news for you today. You might be excited that we're going to compare Bill Gates to a pagan Persian king. So you might be happy about that, right? I think there are going to be positives on both sides, whether you are a fan of the Gates Foundation or you're not a fan of the Gates Foundation in the sermon today. We are going to see that some of the most powerful people in the world and their decrees, and what do they do? And if you want to hear anything today, I want you to hear this point. You can write it down if you want. Just have it lodged away as we go through the passage this morning. Some of the world's decrees are remarkable. But what makes them remarkable is that they are shadows of God's most gracious decree. Some of the world's decrees are remarkable. But what makes them remarkable is that they are shadows of God's most great, gracious decree. Okay, we're going to go through Ezra 6 this morning. It's a long passage. I'm going to take it in parts. It's a narrative. And I like how narratives unfold. So you can see, like you're reading a story for the first time, what is going to happen. So let's start. Ezra chapter 6. I'm just going to look at a couple verses to begin. Then Darius the king made a decree, and a search was made in Babylonia, and the house of the archives where the documents were stored. And in Ecbatana, the citadel that is in the province of Medea, a scroll was found on which this was written. The word of the Lord. 
If you're just joining us, welcome. We've been going through the book of Ezra this fall. We're just a few sermons in. And we'll be continuing in Ezra in Nehemiah this fall and all the way to the new year. We saw in chapters 1 and 2, the people of Israel were not in a good place before this. They were in exile thousands of miles away in Babylonia. And then we saw in chapters 1 and 2, through this pagan Persian king, Cyrus, a decree came for them to return back to the land and to build a house to God. And that's what happened. 50,000 people returned from Babylonia back to Zion, Jerusalem. And then in chapter 3, we saw them build an altar and a foundation for the temple within two years. And we saw them praising God. And then we saw in verse chapters 4 and 5, opposition. People in the land were sabotaging the building of this temple that didn't want to be built. And then they sent letters to the king telling them to stop. And then there was a stop and desist order. And now we have come 16 years later. And that's where we are now. The temple has not been completed. And two prophets of Israel, Zechariah and Haggai, you can read those books in the Old Testament, and they're mentioned in chapter 5. They tell the people of Israel, it's time to start rebuilding the temple, and they start doing it. Well, again, the people that are around, the Israelites, were not happy about them rebuilding the temple, and they send a letter to Darius telling them to stop, even though the people are continuing to build. And that is what's happened. The letter has gone to Darius, and now we're seeing Darius check what Cyrus actually said, the former king, about the building of this temple. And we're going to see the response from both Cyrus, his earlier decree, and now the king Darius. I just want to take a step back right now, okay, from all of this book and all this stuff we're studying, and I just got to wonder, what are we doing? What are we doing seeking guidance from a book that was written 2,500 years ago in a location halfway across the world in a culture that most of us did not come from? How does this relate to, the, to us? Does it still have credence? I mean, we're in a time in a place where I can go the whole week in hearing conversations from people in a religious community like Appleton, and I don't hear God mentioned at all. The movers and shakers of this world pay little attention to this worldview of Christianity. Ethics in America has shifted from the Judeo-Christian ethic. And for some, going to a place like this on Sunday morning just seems silly. Maybe you have those thoughts. Wondering, what are we doing? What is this? Does it even matter? 
with all that's going on in our world, with all the movers and shakers, with all the things I pay attention to, I'm clear, does this even have any relevance to my life? I don't think this story is very far off from what the Israelites are thinking themselves. Here they are, 50,000 people who are surrounded by other cultures, even in their own land. They might be one of the smaller groups in the land at that time. And they are just one little group within a grand empire, the Persian Empire, that is ruling over tons of other cultures just like the Israelites. With different religions and different practices and all this pluralism and all of them just trying to get along. And here they are, plodding along, building their little house to their God. Think about it. It was just 16 years earlier that the head of Persia wrote a decree for them to build the house. You would think that people would have remembered what had just happened 16 years ago, but they don't. That's probably how insignificant they are to the Persians. Oh, we got to find out what we said about what we're going to do with these people. And they had to go to a different city to go find the decree that was just written 16 years ago about these people. Talk about insignificance. Here they are, harassed by neighbors, not able to build their temple. The Persian Empire thinking there are more important things going on in this world. And here we think, oh, finally, there's some significance Let's appeal to the real power player. Let's go to the Persian king. He's the one that pulls the strings. Let's hear what the king has to say. What are your significant things? Is it me reading this passage from Ezra? Is that really the significant thing you're waiting for this week? Can we all think about waiting for decrees, maybe waiting for a letter to come, <laughs> a letter maybe from a college? I'm going to wait and see, did I get in the admissions office? Did they say that I can, can get into this school? Maybe you've waited by the phone, waiting to see if you're going to get a call back from an interview or whether you get a loan from a bank. Waiting to hear the decree from some individual to let you know if you're going to get what you want. Maybe it's the bubbles, you know the three bubbles in your text message, right? That you send a text message to someone that says, um, do you want to go out with me on Friday night? And then the bubbles come, and you're like, it's the panic of what they're really typing. And then you know that they type something and then erase it and they're typing again. You know those kind of things? Is that what significance is? That decree? The text that comes back? Maybe for some of you that are news junkies, it's, it's waiting to hear what happens on an election or a ruling or whatever it might be. Following the news to see what is going to happen in a decree from some ruler, a president or a congressman,
decrees from individuals, organizations, important officials. We've given them power and significance in what they will say to our lives. And here we are waiting upon this Darius, this significant king over the Persian Empire. What is he going to say about this little people and what they can do in building the temple? Let's look, shall we? Let's find out what they actually say. I'm going to read a few verses here, so pay attention. From verse 2 on to 15. A record... In the first year of Cyrus the king, Cyrus the king issued a decree concerning the house of God at Jerusalem. Let the house be rebuilt, the place where sacrifices were offered, and let its foundations be retained. Its height shall be 60 cubits, and its breadth 60 cubits, with three layers of great stones and one layer of timber. Let the cost be paid from the royal treasury. And also let the gold and the silver vessels of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took out of the temple that is in Jerusalem and brought to Babylon, be restored and brought back to the temple that is in Jerusalem. Each to its place. You shall put them in the house of God. Now the quotations have ended. From that one to something else. I know you need to pay attention to that. Now therefore, Tatanai, Governor of the province beyond the river, Shethar, Bazanay, and all your, your associates, the governors who are in the province beyond the river, keep away. Let the work on this house of God alone. Let the work on this house of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews rebuild this house of God on its site. Moreover, I make a decree regarding what you shall do for these elders of the Jews for the rebuilding of this house of God. The cost is to be paid to these men in full and without delay from the royal revenue, the tribute of the province from beyond the river. And whatever is needed, bulls, rams, or sheep for burnt offerings to the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, or oil, as the priests at Jerusalem require, let that be given to them day by day without fail, that they may offer pleasing sacrifices to the God of heaven. And pray for the life of the king and his sons. And I make a decree that if anyone alters this edict, a beam shall be pulled out of his house, and he shall be impaled on it, and his house shall be made a dunghill. May the God who has caused his name to, be, to dwell there overthrow any king or people who shall be put out, put out a hand to alter this, or destroy this house of God that is in Jerusalem. I, Darius, make a decree. Let it be done with all diligence." Then, according to the word sent by Darius the king, Tatnay, the governor of the province beyond the river, Shathar, Bozanay, and their associates did with all diligence what Darius the king had ordered. And the elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah son of Iddo. They finished their building by decree of the God of Israel and by decree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes king of Persia. And this house was finished on the third day of the month of Adar, in the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king. So here was what happened. There is confirmation of the king who wrote 16 years earlier, Cyrus, who has now died, and a new person came to rule, and then Darius killed by a coup, that new person, and then he is now reigning. 
It's confirmed what Cyrus said, and also what's confirmed is that money from the royal treasury should be taken to build the house, something that had not been, been done. And then the good news is doubled down because Darius adds to this decree. Give them whatever they need, bowls or burnt offerings. And if you don't do it, guess what's going to happen? I'm going to take a beam from your house, and you're going to be impaled on it. And he tells them, you better do this with diligence, meaning do it quickly and right. And we see that they do. The people that are around the Israelites, who are these kind of Persian puppet government, follow what Darius has said. And the Israelites build the temple in four years. This is astounding. The grace that is given by Darius to the Israelites is insane. How he even goes against his own people that he's appointed around the Israelites to say, you need to follow them and support them and give them money to this. This is a decree that they say, we're going to follow this King Darius. That's how powerful he is and what he can do and what he's telling us we should do, and they follow it quickly. And the Israelites benefit from this great decree. I found one of the most unluckiest people on TV, one of the saddest characters on TV, maybe I'm just dating myself, um, is George Costanza on Seinfeld. Maybe you're Seinfeld fans, maybe not. If you don't know George, he is a character. He always seems to do the wrong thing, say the wrong thing, just an just a ball of anxiety is George Costanza, and it's just kind of fun to laugh at him because all the things that he does. But you know, other than being an architect, one of George's dream jobs, to be a scout for the Yankees, right? And by some happenstance, he gets this interview with the Yankees, if you saw this episode. And George meets George Steinbrenner, who's the former head of the Yankees, owner of the Yankees, a very powerful figure in baseball if you follow baseball at all. So just know, baseball powerful figure, George Steinbrenner, that would be the picture, okay? And George, of course, because he's doing everything opposite, maybe that will help in his life, he tells George what he should do with his team, right? You've been ruining the team, everything like that. And George... Steinbrenner says to Costanza, you're hired, which is hilarious because the HR is like, what is Steinbrenner doing? They hired George to be a scout for the Yankees with no experience. How awkward George is, now George Costanza is a scout for the New York Yankees in this amazing office at Yankee Stadium. Talk about an astounding decree, okay? That is how astounding this decree is. When someone says it, even how messed up that person is, it is done. 
Let's admit it. When someone with power, authority, gives us a chance, mercy or grace or opportunity, it is amazing. That's Aaron, my wife, saying yes to me, right? That's how amazing it is. I did not deserve a chance. But one of the greatest days of my life is when she said, okay, I guess I'll go out with you. (laughs) Or maybe your number one school choice telling you you've been accepted. Or a boss giving you a promotion. A bank giving you a loan for a business. A judge ruling for you against what you feel like is injustice in your life. A parent saying, I'm proud of you. Remarkable decrees. Whether we want to admit it or not, we look to the world to give us this affirmation. And when they do, we follow them, we listen to them, We do what they tell us to do quickly. We have given them power. And that is not a bad thing. God has placed people in those positions for his purposes. And they can do great things even if they do not follow him. Bill Gates. Pagans. Like Darius, God uses them for his purposes to do amazing things. The problem arises when they, what they say becomes what ultimately matters. That's when it becomes a problem in our life. I want you to pay attention to verse 12. This is probably one of the most intriguing verses of all of the book of Ezra. Here is the king of kings, the Persian ruler, saying something that he might not even understand what he's saying. Maybe if you read the book of Daniel and you see Darius mentioned there, maybe you see that he's starting to get maybe some understanding. But I do not think this is one that ultimately fears Yahweh. And this is what he says. May the God who has caused his name to dwell there overthrow any king or people who shall put out a hand to alter this or destroy this house of God that is in Jerusalem. Does he realize what he's saying? There is a king that is greater than the king of kings of Persia. Yahweh, who has the right to overthrow any empire or any king or place anyone where they need to go. If you pay attention to chapter 6 here, it's very intriguing. It mentions all these former kingdoms and kind of corresponds them with the Persians. It mentions Medea, a former kingdom that was conquered by the Persians. It mentions Babylon, former place conquered by the Persians. It mentions the Assyrians who were even before the Babylonians that were conquered by the Babylonians. It mentions all these 
other kingdoms. Why does it do this? They're gone. The author does this for a reason to show that God rules over kingdoms. That they come and they go. But he rules over them all. The hardest thing to witness and experience is when we or someone we know gives ultimate power to decrees that come from other people, institutions, other than God. No matter how benevolent they might be, no matter how good they might be, when they give ultimate power to these institutions. We see that in relationships. If I'm with this person, if I'm in this relationship, if this person loves me and cares for me, then it will be okay. Call that codependence. This ruling from this person, whether it's a bank or whether it's my boss or whether it's um, someone in power, what they say will decide how my life goes. And when it goes against us, it causes major bitterness. This political decision will decide our future, my kids' future, whether we're going to be okay or not. How true is that for right now? And when we give that person or that ruler ultimate authority, it can cause us to have hopelessness. What decree are you holding on to too close? Are you waiting for a parent finally to say to you, I'm proud of you? And there are wounds that you are carrying because it's never been said? Are you waiting for someone, some relationship, for someone to say to you, I want to be with you? Are you waiting for some decree that says, you can have this freedom or this right? What decree are you holding on to too tight? need to look at Darius. This is a beautiful thing. Darius graciously provides for the Hebrews. He gives them something greater than they deserve. He says he will punish their enemies. It says here that they prospered, the Israelites, they prospered from this decree, from the prophets, from the Persian kings. But here is something that they do from this decree. See what they do in response to this. Let's look. 
verse 16 all the way to the end of the chapter. Please pay attention. And the people of Israel, the priests and the Levites and the rest of the returned exiles celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. They offered at the dedication of this house of God 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 lambs, and as a sin offering for all Israel, 12 male goats, according to the number of the tribes of Israel. And they set the priests in their divisions and the Levites in their divisions for the service of God at Jerusalem, as it is written in the book of Moses. And on the 14th day of the first month, the returned exiles kept the Passover, for the priests and the Levites had purified themselves together. All of them were clean. So they slaughtered the Passover lamb for all the returned exiles, for their fellow priests and for themselves. It was eaten by the people of Israel who had returned from exile, and also by everyone who had joined them and separated himself from the uncleanness of the people of the land to worship the Lord, the God of Israel. And they kept the feast of the unleavened bread seven days with joy, for the Lord had made them joyful and had turned the heart of the king of Assyria to them so that he aided them in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. This is what they did. They worshipped the Lord. That's who they worshipped, not Darius, not the Assyrians, not the Babylonians, not the Persians. They worshipped the Lord, that he's the one that directed these people for their good. I want to make an observation to you, and you might not see it if you just read the text for the first time. And sometimes we just pass over it. No pun intended. They celebrated Passover. Another decree that's happened in Israelite history. Do you know what Passover is? Remember? They were exiles before, slaves in Egypt. And they wanted to get out of Egypt. And the Lord came and said, this is what you should do. Sacrifice a lamb, take the blood, and put it on your doorposts. And if you do that, the angel of death will pass over your family or anyone that has that blood on the doorposts. But anyone that doesn't, the firstborn will die. Talk about a decree even greater than Darius's decree. Think about this. Think about how much greater God's decrees are there than any decree in this world. He created us, and we've run from Him. Therefore, we deserve something worse than being impaled on a beam. For our rebellion against a king even greater than Darius. But think how much greater God's decree and his graciousness is than Darius's. Darius gave the decree from a thousand miles away that this should be done. God gave a decree that he didn't just come make a decree up from heaven, but he came down to earth and dwelled among us and made a decree. He 
He made a decree that he was not just put the blood on the doorpost and I will pass by. No, he said, I will be the blood and the sacrifice for you. Instead of you being put on a tree, I will be put on a tree. I will become that lamb. You see, when you look at the cross, we see a decree that says to us, you have been forgiven. You have been adopted. You are a part of my family. You are sons and daughters. Is that the relevant decree that you listen to in our age? Is that what you're listening to? When people say, guess what, if you don't get vaccinated, you're going to get fined or you're going to lose your job. Is that the decree that's greater for you? When someone says to you, I don't want to be with you, is that who you've given power to and their decree is greater? Or do you listen to a decree that says, you are adopted and you will never be out of my family? I have come for you. I have dwelt among you. I have died for you. That you might have freedom, real freedom. And we complain about mass and vaccinations and we think it's the end of the world when God says, I have given you a freedom that is greater than any decree. Amen? We need to hear this. We are whining and we're complaining because we have given someone else greater power than a decree that comes from heaven itself. I pray that God would come close to you and you might know that he says to you, I'm proud of you. I will never leave you or forsake you. You are free. That's relevant to right now. He said it 2,500 years ago. He said it at the cross, and he says it now. And one day, he will come again, and it will be as clear as day. And we will not see it through a lens that's cloudy, but we will see his glory fully.